like for you to go with me to Colossians, the third chapter. Several years ago, I committed to memory the 15th through the 19th verse and 23rd verse, but this morning, as I was turning and, and preparing this text, I just, want to, I just want to share this morning, if I may, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, aren't you glad that you are the elect of God? God voted on you. You have God's vote this morning. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another. That means making room for one another's mistakes and challenges, and forgiving one another. We know if we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I I wish that wasn't in there, but it's there. I've got some people I don't want to forgive. I've got some people I wouldn't care if that got run over by the bus and the bus put it in reverse and ran over them again. I really, and I I hate to be so honest, but that's that's really sometimes how you feel. But the word said that I cannot have that lousy, rotten attitude So I pray before service, and I think we're okay. Forgive you also, you must do. But of all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which also you're called in one body, and be you thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And the thought that I wanted to leave with you today in verse 19 And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father, through him. And then if you just go down to verse 23, which kind of reiterates my thought this morning. And whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily unto God and not unto men. Many of us live our lives to please other people. Many of us really don't necessarily have a life. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that your best moment, God has reserved your best moment for you. In Larry Ortberg's book, there was a a paragraph there that he asked the question, what is the greatest moment of your life? What is the greatest moment of your life? And those of us that are deep thinkers, obviously we would say when we were conceived, obviously that was the greatest moment of our life because on the day that we were born, the angels got together and decided to create a dream called true. So they sprinkled stardust in our eyes and golden star in our hair blue, something like that. Anyway, that's what we would consider to be the greatest moment of life. Obviously, the, the moment you were born would be considered one of the greatest moments of life. I remember the birth of both my girls, and uh, they were both pretty. They were both pretty scary. It was a. It was a. I saw a look in Pastor Rhonda's eye. I've never seen. I've only seen it twice in my life. Only two times. And I remember the first baby as I was in. I was encouraging her, and I. I think I accidentally touched her on the shoulder. She said, "Don't touch me," and her head went around like three times and. And then I remember when, when, when Courtney came to the world, it was just a, and same thing with, with Christine. Actually, with Christine, I was in South Georgia deer hunting. Pastor Ron told me to go. 
She was fine. Where water broke that morning, it was an ice storm, and we had flown in. A pilot had, had, had um, Prime America flew us in, hosted us, and we were deer hunting. An ice storm came in, so one of the parishioners of our church got in her suburban and ran 100 miles an hour all the way from Cordial, Georgia, to Chattanooga. I got there about five, and I believe Christine was born about 5:20, somewhere in there, in the evening. When I came in, all the nurses gave me a dirty look, like, how dare you go deer hunting when your baby's being born? Well, there's nothing more important than deer hunting except the birth of your child. And so but I remember those, those two occasions. So, so maybe you would consider the greatest moment of your life would be the moment that you were born. And maybe the greatest moment of your life would be the moment that you learned how to crawl. Now, Christine never crawled. She never, she never crawled. She scooted. She never Ever. She scooted on her butt. It was hilarious. And she was fast. I mean, she could get out of, out of sight in just a moment. And so maybe that's the greatest moment in your life. Or maybe when you started eating solid food and actually got to enjoy the taste of food, maybe that was the greatest moment of your life. Or maybe when you learned how to walk, how many, how many new adventures that you could pursue as you learned how to walk. Or maybe your first day at school, certainly that would be a great moment, or maybe when you graduated from high school, that could be a great moment, or maybe your wedding day. I mean, certainly that would be a great moment, or maybe the, the birth of your first child, or maybe your first retirement check. I mean, there's so many, if I were to ask each one of you, what is the greatest moment of your life? Some of you might say, when I was born again, I, I accepted Christ in my heart, and that seed re, rejuvenated, and I I have the love of God, or maybe when you were filled with the Holy Spirit, or maybe when you saw your first miracle, or maybe when you led your first friend, not your first friend, maybe when you led your first convert to the Lord. Maybe that was the greatest moment of your life. But this, this morning, I'm going to declare that the greatest moment of your life is right now. This is the greatest moment of your life. The fact that you're here, the fact that you're alive, the fact that you're breathing, the fact that you have destiny, purpose, promise, this is the greatest moment of your life. And sometimes it might not seem like that these are great moments of our life. I'm reminded of the story of Noah, who had never built a boat, didn't know a whole lot about building a boat, heard from God, got the plan of God, and he began to build this boat 120 years. He was 500 before he gave birth to his, to his sons, a hundred, I wonder what they did the first 500 years without kids. Anyway, for 120 years, he built this colossal Titanic. And I'm, I'm sure that all of his friends, all of his peers, all of his neighbors probably thought he was an idiot. They probably thought he was stupid, probably thought they'd have drugs in those days, but they had alcohol. Maybe they thought he was a drunk. Maybe they thought he was bipolar. Maybe they thought he was multiple personality. I think that those were probably there in those days. Didn't have great books about it, but I'm sure that there were people that were kind of whacked out of the mind. They just thought that maybe Noah was whacked out of his mind. But God gave Noah a promise, and God, God said, from this day forward, I will never destroy the world again with water. The world was probably destroyed millions of years ago with ice. We probably know the world's going to pass away with fire, according to the book of Revelation and Daniel but God told Noah, I'll never destroy the world again with water. And my promise to you is the rainbow. Noah, Noah had rainbow days. There are men of God through the Bible that had rainbow days. I believe that when Abraham heard from God and left his country and began to travel and stood on the mountain and God said, look, north, south, east, and west, I'm sure that was a, a, a rainbow day. I believe that when Jacob actually won 
Rachel after 14 years of labor. I believe that was a rainbow day. I believe there are rainbow days all the way through the word of God that we see, obviously, there is a God and his promises are secure and his promises are stable. I remember as a kid, you know, I was born quite young. Um, uh, One of my my favorite games to play was hide and seek. I remember one particular year, I actually got in the dryer and hid in the dryer and nobody found me. Nobody, nobody found me. I don't know if, if that was one of your favorite games or you ever had fun playing those games. I remember that when Pastor Ron and we go preach somewhere and they put us in a house or a motel, I would get in the closet. I would jump out and scare her. I would frighten her. My brother the same way. I would get under my brother's bed and about, I let him get good and sleep and I reach my arms around and grab him and act like I was, I was choking him. I, I, just, I, I just love doing stuff like that. I don't know. Then, you know, when I turned about 20, he grew to six foot three, 180, so I quit beating him up. But uh, I, I just, I love playing hide and seek because the game of hide and seek had this wonderful rule at the very end. Does anybody remember it? If you couldn't find who you were looking for, then you would cry, help me, ollie, ollie, ought, and free, free, free. I don't know if that's Latin or German or Japanese. I don't know what ollie, ollie, ought means. I'm sure there's probably some kind of story to that. But it was so cool that no matter how hidden you were, those words declared that you, were, you won the game, you were safe, come out and be found. And this morning, I believe that in many of our lives, we feel like that God is playing hide and seek. Can anybody relate? I mean, maybe it seemed like it's been a while since we heard his voice. It's been a while since we felt his love. It's been a while since we really experienced his presence in our life. And which brings me to my little homework assignment. I got a little homework assignment for Pastor Todd. How many have many seen this book? How many know who this book is? There are 40 million copies of this book in 28 different languages, and this is the book entitled Finding Waldo. Now, Pastor Todd, I'm going to tell you Waldo looks like that, and he'll be carrying a stack of books. If you go to the front page, and if the ushers will help me, we're going to time Pastor Todd to see how long it takes him to find Waldo. And while he's doing that, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and teach a little bit. Let's go to the first page. Okay, now, let, let the timing, let the timing. Austin's got his uh, phone back there. He is timing you. The uh, author of Finding Waldo never, how long? Go to page two, because what, go to the second page, okay, now ready, timing. The author of Finding Waldo never intended to create Waldo. Her heart was she wanted to do crowd shots. I think the very first page, if I'm again, go to the third page. I averaged last night 10 seconds per, go to the next page. So the first page is all Stone Age, but Waldo is dressed like a nerd. He got blue pants, a red and white striped, uh, sweater. He got a stupid-looking cap on. These big nerdy glasses, and he's carrying a stack of books. But in every time you turn the page, Waldo loses a book. And the very last page, Waldo does not have any books. And then at the back of the book, it can tell you all the different. You're going to you're going to back pages to see how good you are. Pastor Todd's going to the back page to see. Okay, Pastor Todd, let's start timing. Let's go. Here's the back page. And what is so what is so cool is that Waldo is in every single picture. The first, you find them already? Yeah, you found them already? The first page was simple. It wasn't really all that difficult. The second page was a little harder. Now, Pastor Todd knew I was going to do that because he's a man of God and God spoke to him. So he got his Waldo book out last night and got them all 
memorized. I did not realize until I got halfway through the book that Pastor Rhonda had Mark Waldo in every book with little ink. Did you know that? Someone did. There was a little, and so I stopped looking for Waldo. I started looking for the ink. And I wonder sometimes in our search for God that we get our eyes off God and we look for the ink. We look for God in someone else's life. We look for God in someone else's, someone else's vision, someone else's dream. I know it's easy to get the newspaper. Uh, I, want you to be, I want you to be informed today that these yellow jackets have no ability to sting. They are, they are mobile. They cannot sting you. They cannot hurt you. They cannot harm you. And Donnie is the one that will tell you to document that truth that yellow jackets don't sting. We had a wonderful moment in the woods. I didn't know. I thought Donnie was dancing in the spirit but a yellow jacket on his back going, get him off, get him off. I didn't know if it was a demon or what was on his back, but it was a yellow jacket, and he irritated the yellow jacket, and we both got wounded. We came home from the woods. It's, I'm, I'm telling you, it's dangerous protecting this city from the killer deer. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. A lot of things can happen to you. But in the book Finding Waldo, Waldo is on every single page of the book. But you got to look for him. At first, it's easy to find and then it gets more complicated. It gets more difficult. And I think that the more that we live and the older we become, I think sometimes life gets so complicated that we forget that there is a promise. There is a rainbow day coming that God has got something for us so incredible, so sensational, so awesome that it's not like anything else. I know people medicate, people do alcohol, people get into Eastern religions trying to find that God moment. But I believe to this congregation, your best God moment is yet to come. And when you think of all the things that God has done for you and all the places he's been, all of the, the footprints in the sand, all the time he carried you, those are all wonderful, but that was then. He said he's looking for a people that will diligently seek him. And there's something about that pursuit of God. I made just a few notes this morning, and my, my word this morning is, very brief. If you believe that, I'll give you a free CD before you leave the building. But the first point that I made here, in your pursuit of your greatest moment, learn never, never, never to compromise. Never to compromise. It's there. It's for you. It will happen. We know there's a difference between Kairos and Kronos. You've heard that from this pulpit time and time again. There's a God watch and there's a man watch. God's ways are not our ways. His time is not our time. A thousand years is but a day with the Lord, a day, a thousand years. So God does not operate on our agenda, on our calendar. I love these preachers that around October or November, they start talking first fruits, and that's going to be the greatest month of your life. And I've had some really lousy Octobers. I don't know. When, you, when, you, when, you, when that clock rolls around, and you get ready to celebrate 50 years of age or 55 years of age. One thing I learned when I turned 50, things start falling off, down, in, over. The song by the country western singer, I tell it like it used to be, that becomes my theme. I used to carry a picture in my wallet when I lifted weights, and if you mess with me, I'll let my picture beat you up. So obviously, obviously, our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. That was Old Testament. But the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that you can learn the thoughts of God. You can learn the ways of God. But when God speaks a word in your heart or your spirit, it's important that you do not compromise. 
And when I think about compromise, I think about three kids that should have never been where they were. They were where they were because several years earlier, the man of God tried to warn the dad, your house is out of order. You've allowed things in your house that should not have been there. Your kids have watched things on TV they should not have watched. Your kids are playing with, 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 with toys they shouldn't be playing with. Your, t- your kids are texting people they shouldn't text. Your kids are, your, your, your kids, this is not the way that you should raise your house. And this Hezekiah, whose life had been extended, he was a dead man, and God extended his life so he knew the miracle working power of God. Instead of bringing order to his house, he said, this is a good word because it's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to the next generation. I don't want to alarm this house. I'm not a politician. I don't, I don't really pursue politics. Black is black, white is white. I call it like I see it. But there's a very good possibility that Courtney's generation may pay into Social Security her entire working day, but the fact that she will ever collect it is very, is very uh, it probably She probably won't be able to collect Social Security. Our, our nation is headed towards bankruptcy. Nations of the world have gone bankrupt. California's bankrupt. They say the White House is bankrupt. And, you know, I just, I just pondered two questions. Number one, are all of the White House employees going to go under Obamacare? Are they going to continue that special uh, program that they have? And are they going to decrease their salary from 300000 to 70000 so we'd have a little extra money? And if he's reelected, are they going to spend another $20 million on celebrating the inauguration instead of putting $20 million? Am I preaching to anybody in the building? It's obvious that our, it's obvious that our nation is in trouble. This nation was in trouble. And what the man of God told Hezekiah came to pass several hundred years later. They went to Israel. They went to Jerusalem. They leveled the temple. They murdered the men. They molested the women. They put the children in handcuffs and took them to Babylon. They changed their name. They took their godly names away and gave them the names of the world. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not their given names. Those were worldly names, just the way the world likes to attach its name on us. Hello? I'm no longer a drug addict. I'm no longer alcoholic. I'm no longer divorced. I'm no longer bankrupt. I'm a child of the Father. All the things that God spoke over me have come to pass, but you can't let the words of the world detach you or distract you or hinder you. Am I talking to anybody in the building? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they, they worship their God. They bow to their God. There's always going to be people who are not like your God. The fact that you worship him, that you celebrate him, and they set the guys up for a trap. They bowed to their God. The, 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 the law said if you bow to any other God besides this God, that you will go in the fiery furnace. It was heated seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. And I believe that Shadrach, look at Nebuchadnezzar, which in the, in the Chaldean means crack pot. Crack pot, you know, like a pot that's cracked. He said, listen, you crack pot. You may throw us in the furnace. You may not. We may burn. We may not burn. But I'm telling you, our God will be with us. Whatever you decide to do, our God will be with you. They could have compromised. They could have bowed to the image. They could have backed off the worship of their God. They could have survived that day, but that's all they would have done was survive. And here we are 4,000 years later, speaking the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What a legacy that while they were in that furnace, not only they came out not smelling like smoke, but they came out not bound and they walked in the middle of the furnace with Jesus Christ. How exciting would that be? Does that interest anybody? You talk about a God moment 
for you to be in that fire and your hair's not, your hair's not singed, you don't even smell like smoke, you're not hot, you're not perspiring, and the Lord is walking there with you. He brought his own air conditioning called the Holy Spirit and just cooled that place. And a godless king looks in and sees those three men and says, Who's the fourth guy? He looks like the son of man. Isn't that something? Even the world has some kind of mental anticipation what God looks like. And they walk with God that day because they refuse to compromise. God gave these guys favor. The Bible said they refused to eat the king's meat, drink the king's wine. They refused to compromise. The Bible said at the time of testing in mental and athletic, they were 10 times better. I believe God's word is factual. I believe that God's word said they were 10 times smarter. They were. They were 10 times more healthy because they refused to participate in what the world said you got to be to be great, a great athlete. And they ate what God had designed for them in the book of Exodus for them to eat. There was a day when they learned that Daniel, they were jealous of Daniel. They were jealous of his God. They were jealous that he prayed to God three times a day. They set up another trap, and you know the story. Daniel refused to compromise. He opened his window just like he'd always done. He pointed his face towards Jerusalem like most, most Jews do now, and he prayed towards Jerusalem, and he prayed to God. They caught him, and they bound him with ropes, and they threw him in the lion's den. And I don't believe these were lions that had been fed. I think these were hungry lions. I think they had set this trap, and they planned this trap. This king was so mesmerized by Daniel's relationship with God the king didn't sleep all night long. He was so, he was so, he, he saw the leadership in Daniel, he saw the ability and talent, and Daniel actually by three kings in that, in, that, in that generation. But that king stayed up all night. And as, as, as soon as daylight was there, he didn't wait a second later. Right at daylight, he runs and he, and he opens up the den. He says, oh, Daniel, has your God spared you from the mouth of these lions? And, the, and Daniel said, my king, little respect and honor, my king, my God has sent an angel, has sent an angel, and has bound the mouth of these lions. I just see Jesus Christ in a headlock got around that lion's neck, and he, can't, he couldn't eat him if he wanted to because God was there. See, there are times when you find yourself in a pit or find yourself surrounded by tragedy, but, but you, cannot, you cannot be wounded, you cannot be hurt, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This past week, I wasn't paying attention I was in the Suburban, I was at BB&T, and I backed right into a car. I backed into the car so hard it stopped me. That's how, that's how hard I whacked it. I'm thinking, oh, my insurance is not going to be happy about this. And I get out of the car, and there's a little, about a 65, 67-year-old lady driving a, a Lincoln, a, a, a marquee, whatever that is. And I got out, and I looked at her car, the side there was not a scratch, there was not a dent, there was not a discoloration. And I, and I looked at her. First of all, I couldn't believe it. I know how hard I whacked that suburban got that big trailer ball on there. And I, and I looked and I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. I said, right now, when we get to heaven, there's going to be an angel in a wheelchair that's going to greet us and say, he put himself between our suburban and your marquee so no damage would be done. Do you believe that God does small things like that? Absolutely. You think that God protects his kids? Absolutely. You think that God, that the book says don't sweat, don't sweat the small stuff? God does. Yesterday, I got a death report from Verizon. Death. My phone is dead. It'll never live again. For Pastor Ron to get her upgrade. And to, and to fix the phone that, that, that's, that's broken, 
it was going to cost $300. Right now, $300 is like $3,000. Can anybody relate? Hello. I mean, things are tight, and we didn't, we didn't have the 100 to do the insurance, much less the 200 for the upgrade. So something, would you like it when something, and that's not something in the way she moved, that's something in the spirit. Something said, plug the phone in. And most of you know, if you tried to call me yesterday, I had no phone, but I have, I have a house for rent. I needed that phone. My number was in the paper, and I rented the house last night about 9 o'clock. When I plugged the phone in, the phone started working. I thought maybe going back to Verizon and, and showing the guy and just giving testimony, but I'm telling you what, God cares about the little things in your life. He cares about the dens. He cares about the fender. Bay. He cares about cavities. I believe that God can anoint your mouth so that you don't have any cavities. However... I wouldn't use Colgate. I use Crest three times a day, like the dentist says, and you'll be okay. Does anybody in the building have a witness? Don't compromise. Don't compromise. The second highlight I want to bring to your attention this morning is simply this. Remember your first love. In John Ortberg's book, this is what he believes. He believes that when you come to Christ, there's a special anointing covering that stays with you in your early days of being a Christian. And, and when you first come to Christ, you're in love with the Scripture. You can't read the Bible enough. You're in love with church. You can't, you can't go to enough meetings. You go every time the doors open, you'll go somewhere. You'll go to a prayer meeting. You will, and so that, that first season of walking with the Lord, there is a, there's a supernatural unction to pursue the things of God. But the older you become in the Lord, the Lord begins to withdraw that, and you pursue God not because of emotion, but because you desire to have a closer walk with him. That's why we have taught you that when you're physically hungry, your body will tell you. But when you're spiritually hungry, your spirit will not tell you. That's why a lot of people, they, they will get in a rut, and it's church as usual. Can anybody relate? I remember 23 years ago when the church was birthed, there was a plethora of um, problems that we encountered. We encountered, we walked Satanists through worshiping Satan. We walked through gender challenge. We walked through multiple personalities. We walked through pornography. We walked through all kinds of addiction. And it was like almost every day somebody was here at this church getting saved. It was like every Sunday morning, the altars were full of banners and waving and clapping and, and, and celebrating. And, and, uh, and I remember those days 23 years ago that, 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 that lived for about 10 or 15 years. But I think sometimes we come to church and it's business as usual. And I'm not fussing about where you sit. I always sit in the same seat, but we sit in the same seat. We bring the same Bible and we have the same expectation. Well, the music's going to be good. It always is. We're going to sing some cool songs. That'll be fun. We'll hear a couple of jokes, three points and a poem and a prayer. And, and, and if we're not careful, we will get in a rut. The Bible says you're going to come in one way and leave another. I like that song that says, if you could see, and go there with me just for a moment, if you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, that's the reason we love him. That's the reason we worship him. That's the reason we praise him. That's the reason we feel, with the, earlier when Pastor Ron was praying, I actually felt it was like a, it was like a breeze. 
There was a, there was a, and when she got anointed, you could tell there was a shift, and you begin to, sit, you begin to sense it. Different ones in the body begin to respond as God has allowed them to respond. You could feel the shift because God is still real. He's still on the throne, and he still wants to guide us every single moment of our life. But what happens is we get in a rut, and we lose our first love. And I think it never hurts to fall in love with your, with your spouse again. And I promise you 10 days in Hawaii, you'll learn to love anybody. Hello, they're just, they're just moments you need to take to refresh your relationship, to refresh your relationship with God, to refresh your re- relationship with others. The Bible tells us that we are to love one another. We practice here so we can go to the street and perfect. But if we can't get along and celebrate and rejoice, and I'll, I'll be very careful what I say, but I know there are, there are places that you can go to well, there'll be several hundred people in the altars dancing and praising and worshiping, and it's easy for you to get out there and join them because everybody else is doing it. It's a little tough on a Sunday morning when you've got a Methodist crowd. Hello? And the, the music's rocking and hopping, but you're just kind of standing there, you know, just kind of going along with the, and your mind is like 800 miles away. I mean, you're in Denver, Colorado, or you're in San Francisco, California. You are not in Cleveland, Tennessee, or you're balancing out your checkbook, or you're thinking all the things you got to do, or all the things that got to take place later in the day, and you've not, you're not focused. You have lost something that you need to find, and that is that love of God where he brought you from, what he's doing to you, and say this with me. The best is yet to come. When I ran the mile, there was, a, uh, there was something we called the second wind. And somewhere between the third and fourth lap, you felt like your, your lungs are screaming, your, 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 your lungs are on fire, your legs are you're on fire, you're flat, you've given everything you've got. Then all of a sudden, there's a, there's a rush. There's, a, there's an adrenaline rush. And all of a sudden, you're running, you're running harder and faster. And if you'll check most milers, their last lap is their fastest lap. It's called the second wind. It wouldn't hurt if all of us just got a second win. It wouldn't hurt if all of us just got that, that fresh push again, that fresh unction again. And, you know, sometimes when it says, I'm going to dance, I'm going to clap, I'm going to shout, sometimes I don't feel like it. Can anyone relate? I just don't, I don't want to go there. I just don't feel it. It's not there. But I notice if I make the effort, God blesses the effort, and then all of a sudden that song, it says, when God dips his pen of love in my heart. Remember, remember that song? I said I wouldn't tell it. To a living soul. <laughs> I found salvation and he made me whole. But I found I couldn't hide the love that Jesus did impart. And when you go back in my life and you go back in the gutter of drugs and you go through the tragedy of divorce and bankruptcy and you see where I am now 33 years later, he is a good God all the time. He's good. He's good all the time. And it's worth pursuing and getting that love back. I, uh, the illustration I wanted to use here was, was Mary. Obviously, Mary, by law, should have been stoned. They brought her to Jesus. I always thought it took two to commit adultery. Anyway, they only brought one. The dude was probably their friend. They let him off the hook, and they wanted to stone her. And you know the story that, that Jesus intervened, spared her life, sent her on her way. Well, a little later, when they're celebrating the, the resurrection of Lazarus, they're having a big feast, Mary came washed her, his feet with her tears, dried her tears with her hair, 
and then took our life saving. They didn't just pour a little bit out, but broke the seal, broke the bottle, and completely anointed him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. She remembered where she was, and she remembered where he had brought her to. Most of you know it's the Mary of Mary and Martha. That was the Mary that Jesus would go to their house and celebrate and eat with them and rejoice with them. And I believe today Jesus wants to go home with you and eat with you and celebrate with you and let you feel his anointing, his power, and love. Wouldn't that be cool if you took the Lord out to dinner and he'd probably eat steak? The fourth point that I wanted to make this morning, if you're, if you're keeping notes, is... You need to learn or remember how to celebrate. If you're not careful, life will become boring and so ritualistic and so dogmatic that you forget to enjoy life. And I remember, Pastor Terry, when the prodigal came home, the Bible says the dad to a party. When is the last time that you were personally responsible for bringing a prodigal home? I think a lot of times because we fail to really focus on soul winning, I think we miss so many blessings. I think we miss so, so much opportunity to rejoice in the things of God, especially through the years when you watch somebody come to the Lord and stay with the Lord and, and knowing that you were the you were the you were the tool that God used. You were the piece that God used. I mean, he gets all the glory. He gets all the, he gets all the credit, but God used you. It's like the guy that carried the cross of Jesus. Anybody could have carried it, but God chose him. Just that one little effort he made. Can, can, you, imagine the, can you imagine that guy in heaven right now? Can you imagine him? I'm the man. I carried the cross. How cool is that? When I get to heaven, I want there to be not just Rhonda and Courtney and Christine there with me, but I want there to be a whole bunch of people. And those people say, I'm here because he led me to you. I'm here because he preached a sermon. I'm here because he prayed with me. I'm here because he made a difference in my life. Let that be your goal this week, that you purposely go after somebody and introduce them. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take, you don't have to preach them a sermon. You don't have to you don't have to stand on the street corner and, and scream scripture. Just let your light shine. Let them see the joy you have. Let them ask you what drug you're taking. Anybody? What, what are you on? Well, you, you take speed? What, what, what's, your, what, 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 what's your advice? And then you tell them, I'm drug free. I'm alcohol free. I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Come on. We need, to, we need to remember how to celebrate what God has done for us and what God wants to do for us. The fourth point I'd like to make this morning is simply this. Never quit. Never quit. You don't stop until the job is finished. You don't stop until the ministry is complete. You don't, you don't put anything on the back burner and say, well, I'll just show God. I'll just, I'll just go on with my life and do whatever I want. I'm telling you, if God has called you for a higher calling, he will find you. And what's so scary if you may find him, are you ready for this? In the belly of a whale. You may find him, you may find him in a place you don't really want to be, but aren't you glad that he's always there? And so if God has put a mandate, if God has put a calling, if God has put an unction in your life, don't back off. Don't back off. 
Do know that God's going to do it. It's okay to take a sea law. It's okay to do some observation, some prayer, some seeking God. But, but stay focused on what God has called you to stay focused on. My last point. Oh, wait, there's two more. The point that I wanted to make is that it's important that you get tied into something bigger than yourself. That you get tied into something bigger than yourself. That what you're committed to is going to work. What you're committed to is going to happen. And you begin to see the fruit of your labor, the, the fruit of a, of a joint effort. Can anybody relate? A bunch of kids got together and they went to walk the, the railroad tracks. And one guy got on it and walked a few, a, a few ties and lost his balance and fell off. Another guy tried to walk it and got, he lost his balance and fell off. Three or four guys tried to walk and they couldn't walk it. So a couple of guys started whispering each other and the guy said, I'll bet you that we can, we can walk this railroad tie all the way to the end. And the guy said, no, we tried it. You can't do it. He said, we, we can do it. I'll bet you a candy bar that we can do it. And so they accept the challenge. So the guys got on the railroad ties and they held hands and together they walked the entire length of railroad tracks and got their candy bar. There's something that happens when you partner with something bigger than yourself. Something happens when you tie into something bigger than yourself. Am I helping anybody in the building? Tenacity. 120 years Noah preached. Not one convert, Donnie. And the only ones that went on the boat were his kids. That's the only one that went on the boat. The kids, the wives, the family went on the boat. 120 years, Pastor Jeff, and not one single convert. But you know what? God told him to preach and build, and that's exactly what he did. He preached, and he built, and God blessed. You remember the story of Naaman? You remember that story, David, that story? The prophet told Naaman, dip seven times in Jordan River. You know, if the prophet told Naaman, write out a check for $10,000, that, that would have been easier to do. The Jordan was a very hum, uh, humiliating river. It was dirty. It was nasty. It was ice cold. Were you baptized in the Jordan River? I was baptized. I want to tell you what. I thought that I was going to, there was a bunch of people watching. And before I got baptized, I said, you know what? After I get baptized, I'm going to have a little testimony. I'm going to preach to some of those people watching. When I got in the water and got baptized, I had absolutely nothing to say. I was frozen. I, I felt like there were icicles hanging off my, and God, God told Damon, dip seven times. He didn't say dip five times. He didn't say dip four times, dip seven times. And he dipped seven times And what happened. The Bible said he wasn't just healed, but he was restored. What the cancer took, God restored, and God blessed. And that's something that happens if you will hold on. Did you ever notice the nose of a bulldog is slanted inward? That way they can grip and, still, and breathe. They don't have to let go. I think God has given you, not necessarily the countenance of a bulldog. I don't see anybody that looks like a bulldog. I believe that God has given that ability to hold on and make sure that we're not going to let go. Do you remember when Superman caught Lois Lane? Remember, she fell off the building, the first one, and he caught her. Do you remember that? And she's all freaking out. And, and he, said, he said, don't worry, I've got you. She said, yes, but who's got you? Aren't you glad today that you've got God? Aren't you glad today that he's got a hold of you and he's not going to let you fall, crash, or burn? And then the last point, note, whatever you want to call it. Remember, like the phone, God is a God of a second chance. Pastor Ron and I had kind of a fairy tale wedding. There were um, 10 guys 
on my side. There were 10 girls on her side. And all of our guys and girls were good looking. They looked like Kent and Barbie dolls. It was a beautiful ceremony. There were probably five or 600 people there in the church. It was a wonderful wedding. But after the wedding, everything started going downhill. Drugs and marriage doesn't work. Alcohol and marriage does not work. After a year and a half of hell, she decided, I don't want to have kids with a drug addict husband. I don't want to live with a drug addict husband. So she left Southern California and moved here. Filed for divorce. And within six months, we were divorced. It wasn't, no matter what I said or what I claimed, I was divorced. Technically, lawfully, I was divorced. But I remembered the fact that God had brought us together. And the word says, what God hath brought together, let no man put asunder. You may feel like there's death at your job, death in your relationship, death in your finances, death in your business. But if God ordained it and God established it, if it's God's will, it's God's win. See, when you, when you confront the enemy and you win, it's not just your victory, it's God's victory. It's God, again, coming through. Like he came through with Job. Job said, I don't know what's going on, but I've come to a place in my life, though he destroys me and the skin worms destroy my body and my flesh, I'm still going to see God. I've got a promise. I know who God is, and I'm not going to abandon God. Does that help anybody in the building? So three years, I immediately went from 119 to 170. I thought I was going to be a professional bodybuilder. Most of you know my testimony. I worked out with Bob Birdsong, Rachel McClish. I lifted weights with Lou Ferrigno. I met Arnold. He was a lot younger, and, and he didn't ever say, I'll be back. In those days, he didn't. I was at a very exclusive uh, a workout place. I've worked in Gold's Gym. I've been to Venus Beach, and I just thought that was what I was going to do with my life. And when God opened the door for me to preach, I had one sermon, and it was 23 pages long, and the only reason I know it was 23 pages long it's because my mom said that every time I turned the page, I licked my finger. So she was so observant, she said, I licked my finger 23 times. And sure enough, I had written a sermon entitled, What It Costs to Prove Christ's Love for Us. That was the title of the sermon. I think I still have it somewhere handwritten. And that night, there were probably about eight or ten decisions for the Lord. People came to the altar. It was incredible. And so the pastor, who was my dad, walked up to the microphone and said, I want everybody to come back tomorrow night. We're going to go into revival. I had one sermon, one sermon, and I was on Monday night at 7. So I went to church about 9 o'clock in the morning, and I got on the piano, played, sang, cried, bawled, and got a sermon entitled, How Does Satan Proof Your Life? That was the second sermon I ever preached. It was a full house. God moved. Anyway, the revival went three weeks. I had no, I had no experience. I'd never given an altar call. I'd never preached a sermon, never wrote a sermon, but God every day took me to the church, and gave me a word. In that three weeks, I did not eat. I went from about 170 to about 140. I said, oh, well, there goes the bodybuilding plans that I have for my life. And so God threw me into the ministry, gave me favor with Marcus Lamb. Marcus said, Hank, I want you to be in my wedding. I said, Marcus, I'm, I'm evangelizing now. I've, I've got to evangelize. He said, I'll tell you what. He scheduled a church all the way from California to Arizona to New Mexico to Oklahoma to Texas, all the way to North Carolina. I preached, I preached revivals all the way to the wedding and all the way back. And that was a door he opened for me that opened a bunch of doors. And I would, I would preach. I would, I would give altar calls. I would prophesy. I'd see God heal marriages, but David, he didn't heal mine. I would, I would get very uh, uh, declarative. I would, 
I would quote all of the Kenneth Hagin promises, all the Kenneth Copeland promises. I read all the faith books. I told you I got a chair one night. I demanded God to transport Rhonda from Cleveland, Tennessee to Westminster, California. And I really, I really thought that God was going to do it, Pastor Terry. And then I remember I had my hands on the chair and I was praying for it. And Jim Holland, he's going to be the Lord down on the mission field. Jim was praying with me and Jim come and put his hand on my shoulder. And I thought it was an angel. And I was afraid to open my eyes. <laughs> and for 20 minutes, I just stood there thinking an angel was having my, but it was Jim praying for me. Anyway, just one of those crazy, we had some crazy prayer meetings. We had some crazy time. And I really believe that, I really believe that God wanted us to, to be married. I really believe that. But let me tell you something. Because I was such a punk, 18 to 24, and, and thought I knew it all, it took God three years to straighten me out. And he didn't get me all straight, but he got me straight enough for Pastor Rhonda to hear from the Lord. A dear friend of hers told her that we needed closure. And so she decided that we were going to do closure. So we met, I think it was a Shoney's restaurant in Dalton. I was preaching. Um, Dalton, by the way, at that time was the, was the divorce capital of the nation. More divorces in Dalton than in this city of, of the nation. And so we're in Dalton, we're at Shoney's. And so I let her talk. She talks and says, I just want you to know that I've got closure. God has, God has forgiven you. I forgive you. I've gone with my life. I'm at Lee. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. She was working with the children's choir at North Cleve, and all these great things were happening. And she said, I just, I just want to let you know I forgive you, and you could go on with your life. I didn't interrupt her. I let her talk the whole, the whole time. And then when she got done talking, I said, I believe God wants us back together, and I think God's going to restore it. Well, she did not. She, did, she felt sick, nauseated, vomiting all that stuff. We went, we went from there to the church. Pastor Jeff, I don't know if you were there at the school at that time, but the church had a, a Christian school, and they had a chapel service, and I did the chapel, and we got ready to close. The principal said, join hands and pray. And I took Rhonda's hand, and she said later that she thought I had cooties, and she did not want to hold my hand, and she's very upset. So she came. She came a few days later, and heard me preach, nothing really. It was, a, it, was, it was a great church, Cedar Valley Church of God's a great church. And it was a great move of God. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but we took up their first offering for their new sanctuary while we were there. That was something God allowed me to do. And uh, so she came and heard me, wasn't a big deal. Then she came back, and I'm, I was one of those Sunday through Wednesday kind of guys, Brother Terry. I didn't go, I didn't go extended. For some reason, that revival, for some reason. <laughs> anyway. On a Wednesday night, I was preaching on the power of the Holy Ghost, and I called everybody in the altar, about, probably about three or 400 people, solid people, and they're all praying, and they're asking for the Holy Ghost. And Pastor Rhonda has a message in tongues, and I had interpretation. And it had nothing to do with us. It had to do with what was, God was doing there at the church. But there was, a, there was a jolt. There was a spark. There was a moment when God touched me and God touched her. And in that moment, all the hurt, all the pain, all the shame, all the fear, all the failure melted. It melted there at our feet. I walked up to her and I said, you know what God's done? I held her hand all the way to the restaurant, all the way, the whole, and uh, that was in January. And I let her finish her junior year at Lee and we were married in May and we just were getting ready to celebrate 30 years of marriage. Actually, what happened? She came crawling back and I accepted her back into my life. You believe that? He's not just the God of a second chance. He's the God of a third, fourth, and fifth chance. A good man, 
falls down seven. The reason he's good, he's pressing forward. He's pursuing what God has for him. A good man falls down seven and gets up eight. Don't be discouraged. Don't be frustrated. If he spoke it, he always has a way of bringing it to pass. And I want to share this promise. If, also, if you'll help me with a little soundtrack or if you just want to whistle three verses of row, row, row your boat, that would be fine. God promised Moses, Michael, that he would see the promised land. Most of us know the story. Moses died this side of the Jordan River. Moses didn't go in the promised land. God did not allow the people to find the body of Moses because they thought that people would have built a shrine, a, God, a tabernacle for Moses, and they never would have gone, gone beyond. So God allowed his grave not to be found. His bones are still probably there in, in the mountains on, on this side of Egypt. But there was a day, look at somebody and say, there was a day when Jesus told the disciples, I got to go and talk to God. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus stood, and guess who joined him? Moses and Elijah. God always keeps his promises. Now, that promise was 3,000 years later, but God kept that promise. I believe with all my heart, and this is for someone this morning, if God said, you raise them up in the way they should go, and before they get old, they'll return to the path. I want to talk to every dad and mom in this building. You raise your kids in the sight of God. He may feel like today they are a million miles away from God. One phone call, one moment, one God moment, one God phone call, one God encounter can turn them back to the God of their youth, and they can fall on their knees and repent and come back to the things of God. If God has promised you a financial miracle, if God has promised you a physical miracle, if God has promised you, if God has promised, it will come to pass. The secret is you've got to learn how to wait. And what have we learned about waiting? But they that wait, let me back off a minute. Father, in the name of Jesus, I build a hedge around every child that's away from you today. Every child that grew up singing your songs and reading your word and hanging with your people, I build a hedge around them. And I declare it to be a hedge of thorns, and I declare that everything they would reach out for pleasure would bring them pain. Everything in the world that they would look to for satisfaction, they would be bored. And I believe that you will revisit them in the night, and the song in the night, and you'll remind them of the days when they heard your word, they loved you, they felt your presence, they served you, and you were their only goal. I'm calling kids in from the north, south, east, and west. I'm calling them from Sweetwater. I'm calling them in from Chattanooga. I'm calling them from Atlanta. I'm calling them from Nashville. Every, every corner that they would come back to you, that they would find an altar, that they would turn their heart back towards you. I declare that right now in the name of Jesus. And I believe in the name of Jesus, the prodigals are coming home. And when they come home, we will celebrate. We won't pick on them for being gone so long, but we will celebrate. We will kill the fatted calf. We will dance. We will sing. We will rejoice, and we will give you glory for you always keep your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I felt that was a God.